Welcome to the Software Lifecycle Stories podcast. We bring you stories of what worked and sometimes what did not in the course of discovering, designing, developing, delivering and using software-based solutions. as shared by practitioners who went through these situations dorai todla known as dorai to most has been in the it industry pretty much even before it became an industry that we know it as today combining his vast experience and his keen interest in spotting micro problems to solve he has been a serial entrepreneur and a mentor for many students as well as aspiring and successful entrepreneurs he likes to call himself a technopreneur working with product companies and startups Join me in this conversation with Dorai. Hi Dorai, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. We've known each other for a long time, but for the benefit of our audience, I thought it is best if you can quickly introduce yourself. Okay, I think it's uh, pretty simple. Uh, hi uh, everyone, I'm Dorai, Dorai Thodla, but uh, you know, everybody calls me Dorai. I'm basically a technology entrepreneur, been doing it since end of 1980. I started my first company at the time i did two in india and uh, two in the us uh, the uh, the fourth company which is which started as imorf and now it is technology strategies is a small company that builds products all my companies have been essentially either consulting companies in the software technology space or product companies and uh, they of course are inseparable in some sense when you start building products you also need to provide consulting and then when you start doing consulting work people ask you to come and build some products for them and so we've been doing that so that's about most of what i can talk about currently i'm engaged in couple of things since i have uh, you know the product company is like just a couple of us i always wanted to keep them small i also spend a lot of time running innovation programs in a couple of colleges where we take ideas from students and encourage them to build something that uh, they can showcase and help them contain the scope and uh, actually build a product and so these some of them are hardware products and electronics products and some of them are software the other thing i do is uh, because i've gone through different styles of companies i have i try to help startups uh, especially in the early stage where they have an idea and they want to validate the idea and they want to build a prototype and get some feedback so i act as a mentor through several organizations including tai chennai and nascom and uh, you know various startup um, groups in india and finally uh, i like to build communities and so we build um, develop small developer communities and one of the latest ones i'm involved in is something called build to learn i notice that lots of students learn a lot of things in colleges but they never actually build anything so we meet once or twice a month spend 4 hours people come there with no knowledge of what to do and we uh, you know attach them to somebody who's interested in building something and they slowly start learning um, by actually doing things and that we have done i think more than a dozen i think the last count is about 14 or 15 sessions of this and um, it's very beneficial to the first timers it's also very beneficial to a lot of people who want to mentor students so it's it's a great community it goes between 20 people to 80 people depending on the time and that's um, pretty excited about you know taking that and spreading it around 
other than this, I just track technology. That's a, my passion. And uh, that's what I do most of my spare time. Wow, that's a lot. I have, in fact, a few questions that I'll come to later, <laughs> including how do you find time to do all this? But um, you always say that now you are a micro product innovator. So what is a micro product? So uh, actually, there is a, it's a very loose definition. I don't think it's, there is an industry term called micro product, but there is this notion in the software industry uh, or in the startup in the, in the startup ecosystem that you need to build big things to be successful and um, uh, to be very frank you can build uh, very small things and still be reasonably successful uh, of course your definition of success may vary from mine my inspiration comes from a company like it's called uh, norton computing and peter norton and five others and at one at the time i knew them kind of reasonably well there were six people and generating 17 million dollars in revenue and uh, there no marketing no sales nothing and each one of the members uh, generated you know couple of million dollars uh, they wrote books but they built amazing products like the um, everybody may know about uh, not an antivirus but before that they build the first disk defragmenter and uh, think about the technology that needs to go into building something like that and a whole bunch of uh, Norton utilities are very famous so they built these little products and they uh, wrote about them and sometimes it is books sometimes it's articles and uh, and it's a small group doing very high quality work and I think there is a chance for lots and lots of companies to participate in this style of product economy and um, so the best way to express that in a single term is micro products is that micro products is anything that a person can build in three months time or one or two people can build in three months time, launch it, get people to use it and even pay for it. Uh, and when you do that, um, and if the product is really good, uh, lots of people will use it, in which case the direction of the product will be completely controlled by users. And that is what we really want. The product is not very good you fail really fast because you're not spent more than three to six person months. And so I think it's a great way to enter the product ecosystem. And then micro product is a starting point. If you want to take one product and become a really big company, nothing stops you from doing that. Um, but um, if you want to produce a series of products, and this is ideal for solopreneurs, solopreneurs are, you know, a single person entrepreneurs um, who are highly productive and uh, really like doing fun stuff and uh, creating things of value. Yeah, wonderful. In fact, uh, nowadays, you know, people do talk about you know, being a startup is very fashionable and also all this lean startup, fail early, fail fast and all that. Uh, I think all that you know, you've been through. But then how do you identify a problem to solve? Okay, so I'll, my experience has been since 82 till now right so i'll go back to lots of stories in the initial stages because you know that i think probably will give you a lot more relevance we started before internet even started even pcs were not there that much when we started so uh, in 83 sometime in 83 84 i was consulting for a company that was selling computers and they wanted a tool to uh, you know uh, run benchmarks because at that time in india Every company would run a COBOL benchmark before they bought a computer because they're actually buying 80, 86 computers, but almost treated them like, you know, like mainframes. So what we would do is uh, the company that wants to benchmark would give them a COBOL program at the time. 
and they had to run it on uh, three of their competitors or four of their competitors and they had to run it on their own and then show them some compile times and you know run times and show that they're you know they're one of the top performers if not the top maybe in the top two or something like that and then they would negotiate the price and uh, one of these companies i was consulting for came to me and said right this is like we're spending a lot of time and we're not able to get that many cobalt programmers and sometimes it becomes you know like really uh, the differences are very small between these compilers what can we do and you know that was i think one of the early product ideas and i said hey why don't we write a simple converter that uh, takes program in one format and converts it to program in other formats and which was a very simple text based you know replacement just the syntax was slightly different in uh, minor differences because cobol is a fairly standard language and uh, when i was looking at it and i said hey why can't we write this in cobol itself and you know i think that was one of the first products and i didn't know whether you can turn it into a product but this they were using it and they saved lots of time lots of money because in some people sitting there compiling doing testing and all that sort of stuff and they are able to use it and then we improved it over a period of time a couple of iterations and uh, so this is actually a problem and a solution turned into a product that can be distributed to anybody to use it and you know they could they could do this kind of thing and that's when i started getting some ideas and saying hey maybe there are these little products that you can do and you can you can help out in you know, people the other one which i think um, pre product and keep talking about it in every forum i can get was there was this company uh, that had a cobol compiler that was very slow and they were losing a lot of benchmarks but they otherwise other than the cobol compiler almost everything else on that machine was really fabulous a good product you know very solid based on technology from us so i took a look at it and they said hey you know can you make the compiler faster and i said Oh, I'm not a compiler guy. Uh, how can I make it faster? And then there's the there are a couple of other constraints. We had no sources for the code, and open source was not very popular at that time. Or if it was popular, we didn't know about it in India. So um, we thought through the problem, found a couple of reasons why the compiler was slow, and then went and built some technology that made it run like ten times faster. The compiler was. all the trick was very simple and compiler was used to write a lot of files uh, well it was doing the compilation because the it had memory constraints and uh, all we did was we created a memory disk that the compiler thought it was writing to disk and it was actually writing into memory so it became very fast and you know at that time i didn't know that you could actually take products like this and sell them uh, internationally so we did it more like a, a on on request but it was heavily used and then the company got back into the business of competing on on compilation speeds and uh, and things like that you know like you get into early validation it's a very clear metric on whether it's useful or not and uh, it is a bounded problem is that you know in the, in the end do you know whether compiler ran faster or not and you run it without this accelerator and with the accelerator see the difference and there is no ambiguity about its uh, usefulness yeah going back to your question i think the only way you can get realistic product ideas is to soak in the problem space you pick a problem space and you you know you spend a lot of time you look at things that are blocking people from moving forward and out of that comes idea and if you know technology enough you can always find a technology solution to product yeah that's uh, actually very nice so have there been instances when uh, you know something that you developed 
and the actual use case was different that it surprised you because i had heard uh, for instance in a different industry that uh, a washing machine maker suddenly found that you know, there were a lot of machines being sold in punjab and when they wanted to find out they were actually using it to make lassi so something like that what was not originally intended but then you know you found it you know, kind of amusing or surprising yeah i i think that tend to happen with certain products much more than other products in this particular lassi case i've heard the story also and it's hilarious um you know so but that was clever innovation by the users of the product and uh, they said hey we we need to mix a large amount of liquids and this is how we're going to do it and uh, it uh, they turned a washing machine into a, you know a mass uh, milkshake kind of stuff in which is lassi is basically uh, yogurt and plus some fruit or something like that or Yeah. but uh, it, it the more vertical the product is the less chances of it's being un- used in different contexts but most of the products we build are horizontal products like for example uh, uh, there's a product that we've been shipping since 2002 it's called infominder it was it, it is born with a very simple idea and i'll talk more about it later but essentially it tracks web pages and sends you alerts and notifications and i built it because i was tracking about 300 pages on the web and i said hey you know i can't go and spend a minute on each one of them every day so i wrote this tracker first it was a perl script written by one of my uh, friends and then later turned it into a full product and then we gave it away to a bunch of people and then saw people using it and then turned it into a product and you can't believe it if i tell you but 16 years later uh, it's still being used people are still paying for it and we have zero marketing sales and uh, it's one of the few it doesn't generate large amounts of money but it generates a steady stream of revenue that product wow. surprised me because i i built it to track bookmarks you know when you bookmark large amount of pages and you want to see what changes and then you can get alerts and i look at the alerts every day and you know that's what we built it for but i found that once we gave it to people it was used for a wide variety of applications you know i things that i never even thought about one company was using it to track um, movement of uh, senior professionals on websites by looking at the team and then you know use it for recruiting purposes like you know people who left or people or uh, if there is a vp who left they would track the vp down you know vice president and then you know try to find him another job or something like that this is before the days of linkedin right now i think it's much easier to go to linkedin and do some of these things but the strangest case was i got a call from a guy and um, this guy said hey you know um, can this i i'm interested in using this product but i want to know whether you can send me alerts like 3 4 times a day and we had restricted it to just sending alert once a day because we don't want to keep on going and you know looking at a website and because it will get blocked and i said yeah but tell me why you want to do it this guy is somewhere in the bay area he's a guy who fixes who does roof inspections uh, in the us um, like in many other places uh, if you want to sell your house you need to get a roof inspection done and you get need to get a certificate and there are certain people qualified to do that and the way they get the businesses they just go and see which houses are on sale and then do that and this particular person had a competitor whose wife was going to the internet and looking at these mls listings and uh, what is called multiple listing service where houses are listed and uh, sending him uh, messages or call you would call after he fixes one you know, inspects one roof he'll uh, call home and his wife say oh why don't you go to this other place where they are wanted and so these guys used to do that and and the person who approached me 
obviously had nobody at home who can do it for him and you know at that time internet was not that easy in mobile smart mobile devices didn't even exist kind of thing and so he said hey you know can i use your product for just tracking this website where they list all the houses ready for inspection and it's you know it's a use that i i think i would never have thought of when when he started building the product and this is not just one there like dozens of stories like this and there is pleasantly surprised at how different a product can be used for yeah amazing i think never underestimate the ingenuity of users right yeah, that's true yeah so actually that brings me to uh, an, another related point you know, which has been um, also one of my favorite things about how do you build you know, whether you call it uh, the mistake proofing in the products when you build something like this and you don't know the users or users are either too experts or specialized or anybody can use it particularly for horizontal products how do you make sure that whatever you build the quality is good see i think i mean there has to be some minimum quality without which you can't put a product out to beta and that comes out of experience and um, you know the first few products we built we didn't have a unit testing framework or black box testing or something and we'll just give it to a bunch of users and they'll find out so the products that you know the like like informator that i'm talking about essentially what we did was we uh, we give it to a bunch of users and we have a beta period look at what google did with gmail you know they were in beta for a few years right you just keep giving it to people and then let them use it and they will tell you uh, because you can actually uh, go and thoroughly test it and then you know take a long time to get into the market but the biggest risk in a product is not the little bugs that are going to stop you from doing something it is the basic usefulness of the product and so there is this dilemma that most of the startups and product startups go through is that hey you know even if i give it away free and even if it works perfectly will anybody ever use it and uh, so the best way to find that out is to offer it to people and the moment you start offering it to people you hit a whole bunch of problems with god nothing to do with product first of all how does the world know that your product exists you know today you have uh, things like product hunt and you know other similar sites but your first problem is hey i have this great product i think it's pretty cool because i've been using it for x number of time and a few of my friends have been using it and we all find it useful but how do i convey this to the rest of the world and and i'm not a marketing person right um, so uh, it used to be very difficult before um, it used to be expensive uh, but once the internet came about and it's become a little easier uh, but not a whole lot easier because there are you know millions of these products around the world how does somebody discover the product so i think i'll fix that problem first is that proving the usefulness of the product and then if it is really useful people will start telling you um, you know that oh there is this problem and or how do i do this and sometimes they may not even know that you have this functionality they'll say hey can we do this with this product and you know you tell them oh that's a feature you just go there and you know click on these two menu items and go to the third page and there is this little thing that you can do um so lots of times even the feature discovery is you know because you don't necessarily write good documentation not people ever read documentation so you know that is one thing second thing is that uh, there has to be a basic quality that is the product should not crash the product should when you put it out should function as people expect and that is a tall order because you don't know what people expect 
So one of the reasons why a lot of people say that, hey, you build something to scratch your own itch, uh, you fix that problem by using it and you expect X out of this product and you're going to find similar users. You know, that is why, um, you know, uh, you take care of, sorry, that's how you basically take care of, uh, you know, this mystery about, hey, is it useful? Is it usable? All those kinds of things. Because if you're constantly going to use it, you know, in American terms, that it's called dog fooding your product. And it's it's easy when you build products that you can use. It's much more difficult if you're building a ERP system for a company, uh, an enterprise, and you are um, not one of the users of that system. How do you know? how people are going to use it and how what are they doing currently and so you have a different set of challenges with micro products you don't have right you either build it um, because you needed it or you know how to use it and you can map yourself to the you know same problems that the users have and, um, and that is the best way to go about it uh, some sometimes it may not be possible in which case what you do is you get that's why you get a user group to test it. So one of the early identification um, things that you need to do is to find users who are typical users. So if your product has more than one type of users, find uh, groups of users, but pick one major benefit this product provides to users and then get the users to realize that benefit and then help them realize that benefit and see how difficult it is to for them to realize it. And if it's very difficult, you already know there is something wrong with the product. Is that you know? Um, so, I, I that is the approach I would take. Uh, the uh, when you say beta or alpha, previously you know when we had no internet, none of these kinds of things were there. You know, even companies like large companies like Microsoft would release several beta versions or alpha version. Then you know, alpha version is just barely features you should not you know may not have may have bugs um, but no showstoppers and then beta version is almost complete but not shippable yet or you can't charge them for it kind of stuff and then but today the problem is a lot less because um, because of cloud and saas you know like uh, you know software as a service you can incrementally roll out features you can so start with the minimum core that is really useful and then slowly start adding features and then the, you can instrument it in such a way that there are techniques today where certain new features are available only to a certain class of users. Facebook does this all the time. And uh, most of the cloud-based products do this all the time. And you'll suddenly see a feature in Twitter or Facebook that's available only to a small group of users. And, you know, so there is an engineering um, uh, solutions to this kind of problem. Yeah, nice. So the related thing is, um, I know you also have been working a lot with students, you said. Yeah. Right? And um, related to that, when you mentioned this, you know, build to learn, right? Yeah. Uh, which is also probably, you know, twisting the whole thing, which is uh, against the normal thing, saying you go somewhere, you learn to build or you learn to do something. Yeah. And then you also, uh, now I know you, you talk about you know, thinking about thinking or you know, learning to learn, you know, those kinds of things. So when you kind of abstract or uh, you know take some of these things to a higher level uh, how does that help you now, is this something that uh, others can also use yeah I, I i think it's like the learning to learn is meta learning right and uh, thinking to think is meta thinking so what happens is um, 
this. There is an actual problem. Um, students and uh, in, in computer science engineering student today learns about three to four programming languages. You know, um, especially if you're Nana University, you know, they start out, everybody starts out with C, then they learn C++, and then they learn one of the things like either Java or C Sharp or any of these things. They're all fairly related languages, so it's incrementally they get to more complex kind of things. But if you look at the system, the system has a lot of theory and maybe like a couple of hours of practicals, you know, maybe two practical sessions in a week, uh, two hours, and they're given a list of problems and they're supposed to find the solutions and students apply the same technique they apply to um, their uh, theoretical study. They're saying, okay, I'll mug up all these 20 programs and if anything comes, I'm just uh, going to just, you know, reproduce it. The funny thing is that um, that is encouraged. In fact, I've heard cases where the teachers will look at your program before you enter it in the computer. And then even if one variable has a different name, they will say, hey, no, you can't enter the program because it's wrong. Wow. They say, no, no, but this is like a different algorithm. And I reduce, I have one really frustrated user. Now he, I think, used to work for Wikimedia Foundation. Now I think he works in Berkeley uh, on Jupiter. Uh, he used to tell me that, hey, most of those programs are fairly dumb and I could actually reduce it to half their size and write it, but I was never allowed to input them because there is no way for the teacher to verify. And uh, that's sad. And so what happens is about 70 to 80% of the students come out thinking that programming is another mugging job. And I say programming is very hard because I need to mug up 20 programs to get answers. And this is, I think, uniquely Indian in some sense. may not be true in some of the better institutions, but it's true in most of the institutions. So one thing that we noticed was that people were scared of uh, doing their final year projects. So they used to, some of them used to just go buy it. Not all of them, but some of them. And I used to ask these guys, why do you buy it? Because they said, I don't know how to write this big program. And they give me some IEEE paper. I'm supposed to read it and then I'm produced its project. And I have no idea how to go from reading a vague spec to a concrete implementation that works. And I'm scared of failing in this test. And so it's a very legitimate reason. So we said, okay, let's start doing these minimal, simple sessions. Like we started these programming clubs. And the programming clubs is where everybody comes and nobody knows anything and everybody writes some programs and people help each other and then get it to work. Um, you won't, I mean, it's, I don't know whether you experienced this before, is that one of the biggest joys in creating something is to see it work first time. And then, you know, you know, hello world programs are easy to write now because in Python it's just one line. But even if you write a simple Fibonacci series or drew, draw a small house using turtle graphics or any of those kinds of things, and the first time you see it working, you say, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, all I did was type in some five to 10 lines of code and then here it is, is producing a beautiful graphic. Um, so first yeah. to introduce them to the joy of programming, you know, joy of creating things. It doesn't matter what they create. Um, and then slowly uh, increase the complexity of what they're building. And the way to in increase complexity is show them how to reuse the stuff that they have already done. These are all good software principles anyway. So you, so I introduce functions when I'm teaching programming in the second uh, session itself. Uh, because, you know, it's a draw a square using a turtle graphics and then turn square into a function, then start reusing the square and then draw squares of different sizes, uh, parameterize the length of the side and 
that kind of stuff and so they start getting a complex thing oh this is not that complex once i write something and i can package it in some certain way that i can reuse it then i can use it as a building block for building something else and that is not taught in classes right the because they don't have that much of time these covering the syntax when they say cover the syllabus they have to cover the entire syntax of java need to get them uh, you know work on 20 programs and that kind of stuff so we started with that and then we said okay this is fine and then i noticed one problem and i said when i told somebody hey go go build a simple um, program to you know for a bookstore business and then they said what what is bookstore business and said okay it's a, imagine there is a list of books somebody comes and searches for a book and they should be able to find a book and find out which shelf it is on that simple and somebody enters all this information about book titles and authors and shelves where the books are there that requires a basic simple database design um one table um a simple ability to take this search and then apply it you know generate like three different types of searches one for author one for book title one for partial book title you have to when you start thinking about it and they start implementing it in small bits then we realize that oh okay then i need a user interface how does the user enter the query and i need another user interface for entering new books you know should i upload them using you know a csv file or an excel file kind of thing and so incrementally you start they start realizing the problems that they need to solve to implement such a simple application and um, we don't we realize that none of them knew that when you gave a problem at that level which most of the industry people think oh wow, that's a simple problem is that uh, you know search a list of uh, items and uh, show the results and seems like a simple problem but when uh, you give that problem students do not know how to take that problem and end up with this bunch of functions that actually perform so notice that hey this is there is a gap here and even though they are taught uml diagram software engineering and all that sort of stuff it's too abstract for them so we want to make it concrete and that is what these sessions are about and this cannot be done in like half an hours time or 15 hours 45 minutes which is with their class or two hours which is in a lab we said hey come here sit and there will be somebody experienced who can help you if you want but try it yourself and pick a problem small problem to solve no problem is small enough but it should show something in the end you know you should be able to demonstrate something in the end so they learn a little bit about the user interface they learn a little bit about uh, the underlying database design they know a little bit in this case if they are building a web um, application uh, the front end and the back end of the web and what is a rest api all these little things come but if you teach all take all these topics that they learn by doing and make a list and teach them in the class they'll be bored out of their mind programming is like you know cricket you know you can read read a lot about cricket watch a lot of cricket matches in and uh, but unless you take a bat and get into the field you won't know how to hit a ball or unless you take a ball and you know throw it you don't know how to actually bowl right and it is it's a practice based you know discipline and then yeah you, theory is good and knowing algorithms is great but knowing how to use the algorithm and why to use them is equally important and that's essentially what we are trying to do with build to learn Well, wow, wonderful. Yeah, that actually answers a question that I wanted to ask, but anyway, I will still go ahead. What qualities do you think uh, students need? Now, everyone talks about this gap between academia and when they get into the industry or actually working. 
uh, you touched upon a lot of things in terms of uh, the curriculum or how some of these topics are you know, treated. But as an individual, an aspiring student, you know, first of all, uh, goes through all this in academia, is prepared to, or rather he is uh, prepped up to be an individual contributor and then probably better than the others and so on. So from that to more of a team sport, even if it is just one more person that you're working with, uh, what have you found and what would be some tips that uh, you would give them? So I think um, individual contribution initially is good because what happens is otherwise, if you are not a very, uh, you know, persevering person, that is, if you are, it's easy to turn around somebody and ask them a question. And normally it tends to be teachers, uh, teaching assistants or lab in charge or whoever. And then initially, we you need to struggle a little bit. Uh, what I do when I teach is I tell them right up front that I'm terrible in typing. I'm going to make lots of mistakes. And when I'm typing code, and I always type code in front of them, I don't copy paste or anything like that. And then see the thinking process. As you're typing the code, you keep explaining, okay, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking, and then, and then I make a mistake. And then suddenly I look around and say, hey, you know, there is a mistake. And even before I ask for help, three students will say, sir, you missed that same colon there, or sir, you named this variable wrong here. They're watching, they're observing, and they're doing this kind of... Doug Engelbert had this, you know, he's the person who invented the mouse and uh, co-invented hypertext, and he did some amazing things in his life and had the chance of meeting him um, and working with him for a couple of years. He used to, he had this term called something called quack kwac and we used to joke about it it's called knowledge workshop architect and essentially what he says is that you can learn more about an editor like emacs or vi by watching somebody edit than you know a practitioner you know so you need this you know it's kind of apprentice style programming right where you you sit with somebody who's very good and then they start doing it and said how did you do that how did you do that and this is what i think part of pair programming success is you know um is that you need to be exposed to doing things that you've never done before because you don't even know what to look for so these build to learn sessions will will you know make that happen but going back to your question I think there are several things, right? Give them really small problems, but don't wait till the final year when they have to do the project. Uh, so what we started doing was, we started doing what are called mini projects in the third year uh, in this college. It's called KCG College of Technology. We started doing micro projects in the second year. Now, I think at the end of first year, it's all, we are going to ask them to start doing some things. You know? So start, thank, thanks to uh, technology development, now I think there are these Lambda functions, you know, the Lambda server, serverless computing, and all these things are becoming popular, right? What people can do is write really tiny functions. And then initially show them, just give them a spec on writing a ton of these functions. Then figure, asking them to thread these functions together to build little um, nano products or, you know, Udacity is a nano degree program, right? You know, so it's like something like that. And then, you know, build micro products out of it and then take these micro products and give it to people to test it. So when you get to a level of complexity where a single person cannot understand the whole program, you have a small team working on it and then you divide the work and uh, maybe somebody does the front end because they're very good in design. Somebody does the back end, you know, the front end is all now JavaScript and React and Angular Vue.js and all those kinds of things. And the backend could be your favorite programming language. It used to be PHP before, Python now, Ruby, 
um, Java, of course, um, and any of those kinds of things. And then some database, you know, many of these good programming languages also have, uh, you know, object to relational mapper kind of thing or but initially they have to directly write database statements themselves and so this is a and then rotate them you know move the back-end guy to the front-end front-end guy to the database that kind of stuff so that you can build a full stack uh, programmer but the interesting thing is not full stack they need to understand from the type from the time they type one character in the keyboard to the time they see one character back on their screen what really goes on you know, what happens when you type this character? Who's doing handling this? Where is it going in? What is going over the internet? What is the server receiving? What happens on the server? What does the web server do? What does the application server or the application attached to the web server do? Or how does it access the database? How does it get information back? The entire round trip, they have to know that. Then once you start understanding this and do it with the smallest the simplest program possible so we actually ask them to do a simple to-do list the simplest possible ones add an item delete an item change an item to-do list consists of just one one field and maybe a priority and then we introduce a, oh add priority now you sort it by priority then add date due date now you sort it by due date so you take you can take the small thing smallest possible thing teach them how to do it demystify the whole thing show them what happens at each one of the stages and and that is that will give them a lot of confidence see out in every engineering institution i've seen there are normally a few really big stars uh, there are very few three to five people sometimes maybe only one in each batch but sometimes three to five people and these are all the kind of people that googles and the facebooks and the linkedins of the world microsofts will hire and um, how do they get to where they got? Because they were very interested in programming when they were in school, and they never lost that interest when they come uh, came to college. And they've been hacking and building things from right from their first year. And I normally identify the first years who are enthusiastic about programming are the ones that I pick into all these programming clubs. And a few of them inspire a lot of others. In fact, some of the people that I work with, at least I can give you two or three cases, where they not only learned a lot of things on their own, but they also taught a whole bunch of people because they want oh. company. Yeah, you know, like uh, this guy by name UV, I mentioned uh, 2009 when I walked into KCG and he was one of the programmers. And, I know he used to, we used to chat about this and he used to be frustrated. He used to bring home his friends and teach them JavaScript and wanted them to build something and used to be frustrated when they didn't do it kind of thing. And um, I have a, now an intern by name Ashish who does exactly the same thing. You know, he's teaching, he was saying, I'll produce four people for you to take as interns because they'll pass, I'll make them pass this, you know, this tough test we normally give to interns and uh, without showing them what the problems are and I'll bring their skills up to that level. So the good ones, once they get confident, have this urge to share that and it, it happens a lot among students. They do combined studies and they do, I mean, the good ones are really, really good. Um, so if you can seed them and then if you can um, make, and students can teach other students better than teachers can uh, teach students and not because teachers are not good, is that the teachers are at a different level of understanding. Whereas students know exactly what other students' problems are. And even the ones who have gone past 
all the initial stumbling blocks and have become experts even they can relate to the problems of the students and students are fairly frank about telling others hey enak puriyala idu tell me what it is and i don't understand this thing and they are not shy to ask for help so i think putting groups of students together are doing lot of little uh, projects uh, i i would put a weekly hackathon you know in place four hours sit there and just build something don't worry about the output don't judge it the fact that you can sit for four hours and code and test itself is is a is a skill that you need to build are there any plans to uh, take this beyond i am assuming this all running in chennai now yeah right now we're running in chennai i've had some requests from bangalore to do it uh, we tried a couple of variations uh, we just did our first hackathon um it's actually mlh it's a github sponsored hackathon i think happened in several hundred locations and we did in chennai um, there is there are variations of this that we are trying to do so our theme is basically build to learn learn to build right then a couple of cheesy things like learn to learn and learn to earn and those kinds of things right you can play around with words but essentially we want them to move from building to learn and then learning how to build and then how to take the things that they build and then you know start getting these small projects and stuff like that um we're trying to figure out whether we can do it uh, scale it by using online um in a like coding competition style uh, approach uh, we're looking at that because physically there are about three four of us as volunteers and i think the volunteer group is growing a little bit but traveling many of them are students and a couple of them are working and uh traveling around and doing it is uh, difficult so we want to bootstrap it in a few places but we what we decided finally is to do themed versions of built to learn um so we'll do one built to learn session will be android and where they'll be initially taught how to build an android application then everybody will pick one application to do and then they'll build it over a period of time and uh it's a very um Uh, what is called not instructor driven but very uh, lead driven approach where project lead or you know a team lead or a tech lead will will guide them guide three four teams kind of stuff and once we work out the mechanics uh, and then we are happy with uh, how we are doing it then we may want to we try to set up a slack group to see whether we can um get it done online but somehow uh, you know doesn't seem to work very well so we need we need to crack that part and um, so we are introducing them more and more to online competition so we're going to go from um, offline competitions to online competitions this year 2019 that's you know every every month we'll do one mini hackathon um, and uh, we'll probably do it in a couple of colleges but we'll also do it independent of all colleges so that anybody uh, from any college can come and join this kind of thing and the mentors are all people who are working because a lot of startups looking for interns and the biggest problem is they can't find an intern with where they can point them to something and they go and build it right you they need to guide them and spend a lot of time with them uh, so they would like some higher maturity level of interns and but if they know that they built like three four little tiny products and even if 70% of the code is copied from uh, some github repo or say, you know some other project open source project it's that's fine uh if they know how to do some version management how to do some unit testing and some basic core skills if they learn i think a lot of startups will be interested in giving um, small uh, projects on a freelance basis 
or you know have these remote interns or virtual interns you know um who can work online and uh, when you get it to that level and we are comfortable uh, with the process a little bit then we may want to scale it but we want to do all the experiments where we can physically see people initially and um, and the first year was spent just running these build to learn events and and the as i mentioned sometimes it was 20 people sometimes it was 80 people once i think it was like almost 120 and we were to show them off because we didn't have enough space um but um we are going to try different experiments uh, we're going to change the metrics on not how many people come to these events but how many products or micro products are built in a year and that is going to be our focus and sometime by the middle of the year or maybe within after 3 to 4 months we may start experimenting with some other location oh wonderful as always adurai it's uh, very very energizing to you know talk to you right from the time i think we met first in 95 i think when you were describing the business application builder and i still i still remember the first uh, you know meeting that we had uh, i'm i'm very amazed in terms of you know, how you keep abreast of technology not only knowing about the keywords but actually applying them where they fit in and putting them to use that is converting your ideas into action and of course the energy you know uh, it's very contagious i would say you know those of you who met you will definitely know that and i can definitely vouch for it i keep telling a lot of people that you know dorai has been my inspiration for a lot of things now particularly you know keeping in touch with what's happening and then coming up with alternatives coming up with ideas and all that i don't know how you manage time with all this uh, i'm really thankful that now you were able to spare some time for this i think there are a lot more questions we might probably need to do one more session but um, yeah i don't want to make this too long so that the people who listen you know can you know, take away a lot of things from here and then start applying them yeah thank you thank you very much you see i think it's uh, easy to get excited about certain things right and you know you have always been excited about certain aspects you know like quality for example and i still remember first meeting i think i came to the tu uh, gopal organized it and i came and gave the first talk i think uh, to a bunch of people yeah this is even before you joined you know integra um, right. so um, and then we had so many interactions after that and i think finding time if it is important is um, it's not a big big problem right if you are doing things that you like doing you have the whole day open you know like i am at a stage where i have grandchildren and you know like other than my wife there is nobody else who's going to demand a lot of my time and she has been very reasonable right from the day we got married so she lets me do lots of things you know in whatever way i want and so i do have a lot of time and then i love technology and then um working with uh, young students you know it generates uh, I, i tell you they're amazing um, whether they know things or not whether they have a problem or not the current generation is extremely inspiring because they are some of the most innovative and socially conscious generation that i have seen i mean i keep looking at some of them and keep asking myself what was i doing at this age and i think i was just mostly reading science fiction books and chatting with my friends and you know here there are people who are doing some really amazing things so i draw my inspiration from uh, working with uh, young minds uh, and then startups you know that is the other community where 
people go far beyond their uh, calling you know in terms of uh, you know the effort they put in and all that uh, and how they work and they're smart and they're always facing problems they know how to solve problems and they're like eternally optimistic and so it's a uh, couple of communities where you know there is nothing but energy and uh, optimism and um, you have to be lucky to be uh, you know among all these people and that is the part i cherish the most and of course spending time if you are really interested in doing what you know what you're doing then is not a big issue because you can always find time thanks dorai once again thank you if you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com that is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com